WXME AM 780 Monticello Holton Presque Good morning, Aroostook County. This is the Aroostook Watch and Radio Show, coming to you live on Constitutional Radio Network, the conscience of Maine on Superstation, WXME 780 AM out of Monticello, around the state on our microtransmitter network on 88.1 in Westbrook in the Back Bay of Portland, 96.5 in Bangor and Brewer, 1700 AM in Lewiston, and on the internet, talkshoe.com, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E, talkshoe.com. Look for Rooster Watchman or just type in the uh, call ID, which is 52956, and hit go, and it will take you right to the page. And you can listen to the archives, join the call, whatever's your pleasure. Don't do it in the car. It's kind of tricky, but uh, you can do it just about any computer. Some of these new smartphones are just absolutely amazing. You can uh, you can do it while you're driving along in the car without even uh, having internet. It's crazy, crazy stuff. Anyway, nice to be with you this morning. There's a ton of stuff going on. We're going to touch on some of it. Some of it is just just crazy stuff. Just distractions. Just a lot of distractions. Okay, let's start as is our custom with uh, some scripture and our uh, devotional from In God We Still Trust by Dr. Richard Lee. Jeremiah 56, not 56, but Jeremiah 50, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. Mm. Hey, shepherds, how's it going for us out there? Our shepherds have led them astray. Interesting. Just happens to be that... um, this is kind of just coincidental, yeah? I like coincidence. Many states have passed laws that allow the posting of our national motto, In God We Trust, in public buildings and school classrooms. In 1992, for instance, the state of Kentucky passed Kentucky Revised Statute Title 13, Education, regarding conduct of schools. How sad that they had to actually pass a a resolution or a revised statute to make this the law of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Reading and posting in public schools of text and documents on American history and heritage, local school boards may allow any teacher or administrator in a public school district of the Commonwealth to read or post in a public school building, classroom, or event, any excerpts or portions of the national motto, the national anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance, the preamble to the Kentucky Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Mayflower Compact, the writings, speeches, documents, and proclamations of the Founding Fathers and Presidents of the United States, U.S. Supreme Court decision, and acts of the U.S. Congress, including the published text of the Congressional Record. There shall be no content-based censorship of American history or heritage in the Commonwealth based on religious references 
in these writings, documents, and records. Wow. How far have we gone astray that we would really have to pass such a law? Hmm. Crazy. Proverbs 10.17 says, He who keeps instructions is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Think we've gone astray? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Crazy stuff. Okay, let's see here. Uh, announcements. I don't think there's anything um, coming up right off the bat. Uh, if there is, we'll put it on Facebook. You can follow Aroostook Watchman on Facebook. Just go to that crazy Facebook thing. Go to Aroostook Watchman, and it's right there. Uh, you're welcome to uh, make your comments right there. You can also uh, make comments and give feedback via email nofda.com at gmail.com uh, not the um, not the uh, sovereign citizen domestic terrorist uh, email that um, Mr. Moretto seems to think is mine, whatever that was aroosticwatchers at gmail.com aroosticwatchers hmm. who's that? maybe it's him, who knows? anyway uh, let's see. Give us some feedback. Okay, let's just jump into a couple things here. Obviously, obviously, we're um, going to have to talk about this uh, lady, Kim. Was it Kim Davis in Kentucky? Very interesting. Now, I applaud what she's doing. Unfortunately, she's taken the wrong stamp. This is not a religious liberty law issue, her religion, her religious liberty has been called into play, all kinds of respect for her doing that, but the the legal ground that she's standing on needs to be the, the law reason. Why in the world is this person in jail? Unbelievable, unbelievable. She's in jail because she is in violation of a Supreme Court opinion? I didn't know that the Supreme Court opinion was the weight of law. No legislature has voted and passed, no legislature having jurisdiction over her or her office or her state has been passed. There is a law that she is actually upholding. The law in Kentucky says that marriage is between one man and one woman. And she is upholding that until the Kentucky legislature changes that. She has every obligation to administer and operate within her capacity according to the oath that she took to that document. She took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of Kentucky. And the law of Kentucky says that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. Guess what, folks? Guess what? you got to hear this. This is Maine. Very liberal liberal, progressive state. Uh, here's the uh, 
Why is that in my way? Here we go. Um, Title 19, Maine Revised Statutes. Title 19A, Domestic Relations. Uh, Part 2, Married Persons. Chapter 23, Marriage Heading. This is Part uh, 650, Findings and Purpose. Listen to this. This is the law. I am not a big fan of, don't really... uh, Main revised statutes are color of law. Anyway, but uh, this is what it says, and this is what this is what you're prosecuted with if you break these main revised statutes. They take you to court and assess a fine. If you sit in one of these uh, kangaroo courts throughout the state, they're not courts of the people. They're not courts of the counties. They're district courts, which really have no authority, no jurisdiction over you as a natural-born human being. But here's what it says. Findings and purpose. All municipal clerks and courts of this state shall have a duty and shall be legally required to construe the provisions of Maine's marriage laws in accordance with the following findings and purposes. The people of the state of Maine find that A. The union of one man and one woman joined in traditional monogamous marriage is of inestimable value to society. This is this is not this is not some churchiosity thing. This is Maine Revised Statutes, guys. The state has a compelling interest to nurture and promote the unique institution of traditional monogamous marriage in the support of harmonious families and the physical and mental health of children, and that the state has the compelling interest in promoting the moral values inherent in traditional monogamous marriage. One very short paragraph used monogamous multiple times, traditional multiple times, Moral values. Wow. Main revised statutes. Hmm. Number two, purposes. Ha. The purposes of this chapter are, A, to encourage the traditional monogamous family unit as the basic building block of our society, the foundation of harmonious and enriching family life. Wow. B, to nurture sustain and protect the traditional monogamous family unit in Maine society, its moral imperatives, its economic function, and its unique contribution to the rearing of healthy children, and C, to support and strengthen traditional monogamous families, monogamous Maine families, against improper interference from out-of-state influences or edicts. Hmm. Doesn't that mean that somehow or another that out-of-state influences uh, or interferences that went on uh, just recently were against in violation of Maine Revised Statutes? Hmm. 
Well, see, here's what we're doing. If you if you assume that this is law, and I'm going to tell you that I do not believe this is law because it wasn't actually passed by the legislature. This is this is the way they kind of word things and manipulate. Comes out of the reviser's office. Blah blah blah. Uh, this page was extracted on January 5th of this year, 2015. Very interesting. So this is this is not something we dug up from uh, 1829. This is uh, 1997, and just recently pulled up so to see if there was any modifications to it or amendments, and uh, there don't seem to be any. January 5th, 2015. Hmm, a union of one man and one woman joined in traditional monogamous marriage is of inestimable, inestimable value to society. Huh. To support and strengthen traditional monogamous main hey, families. Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you? Got somebody on the line with me? Oh, my goodness. A couple people. When I'm doing these... Uh, I'm pre-recording this show for tomorrow morning, and uh, I don't even bother looking in the chat room. How you doing? <laughs> What's up? I'm I'm doing very good. I'm I'm listening to what you do, and uh, I'm I'm enjoying your broadcast. Wonderful. Well, this will be this is uh, in the wee hours of the morning, just because of uh, circumstances. But this will be broadcast on the uh, on a real a real antenna and a real old. Uh, transmitter with tubes at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning throughout Aroostook County, which is in uh, northern Maine, as far north as you can get without falling off the edge. So, welcome. I hear you. It's fabulous. It's not uh, so late over here. I'm I'm, uh, I'm calling you from Los Angeles, where, where I have my office. So, uh, it's a little <laughs> bit earlier than that over here. Well, it's, yeah, it's still a reasonable time of the day over there. On the left coast. Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. Oh. West coast. Uh, I'm what? I'm a talent agent out here. My name is uh, Ron Remulek, and uh, you know I, I listen to a lot of shows on here, and the ones I enjoy, the ones I think have real roots, uh, if you will. Uh, I always approach them about booking some talent because I have a lot of talent over here, and 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 they're looking for uh, listeners. And I, I want to entrust them with people who know what they're doing uh, on, on the radio here. Oh, great. Well, uh, you can certainly contact me. My uh, email is nofda.com at gmail.com. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, wait, I have, uh, my, my roster has a lot of uh, musical acts, bands, uh, singers. I got two artists with me uh uh, I got tape of them. Their name is uh, Carly and Jeff, and they uh, duet, and they're, they're beautiful voices. And I'd love to get them booked on some shows. I could even play some of it so you can hear what they sound like. They they have a beautiful. Not, not right now. I got together. I got a lot of stuff to push in this here, but uh, you're certainly uh, certainly welcome to contact us. Thanks. I'll play you just a hint of it. Nope. Nope. Yep. Sorry, not going to do that. Okay, we're off and running here. Thanks for being with us, but uh, we're not going to bring in anything but what we're doing here. You're certainly welcome to uh, post 
interesting stuff in the chat room, and uh, we'll take a quick look at that when we can. Okay, back to this interesting uh, concept here. This um, this lady in Kentucky who is uh, Kim Davis, who's under fire, and uh, there's actually a very similar statute in the Kentucky Revised Statutes, or whatever they call them in Kentucky, very similar to the main Title 19, and uh, we're just, uh, that's what she should be fighting it on, because she's actually supporting, endorsing, and and keeping her oath to her office. So why is it that she's in jail? She's in jail because she is in violation of a judge's opinion. Wow. I didn't know you could go to jail for violating opinions. See, the people listen, think, and are are so accustomed to, oh, the judge said it, or the Supreme Court ruled. The Supreme Court does not make laws. The Supreme Court offers opinions on the constitutionality or unconstitutionality of some uh, legislative process. They can't make laws. It doesn't work that way. But we're so used to these nine black-robed criminals legislating from the bench. We think we've got it. We've lost it. But we need to go back to civics 101. We really do. We really do. So anyway, let's see. I wanted to get on a couple of items on her. Uh, Let's see. Where is she? But uh, just some interesting stuff from the uh, main constitution. It's pretty cool. Um, Let's see. What else did I want to get into here just before we leave that subject? I had uh, another one. Where was it? I posted it. Darn. Uh, Let's go back here just a minute. Uh, Back to, here's one, uh, domestic relations, married persons. Marriage is the legally recognized union of two people, gender-specific terms relating to the marital relationship or family relations must be construed to be gender-neutral for all purposes throughout law, whether in the context of statute, administrative, or court rule, policy, common law, or any other source of civil law. What the heck does that mean? Hmm, interesting. Uh, where was the other one? There was another one there. Uh, Hello? Uh, what happened there? Here we go. Hello? Yeah. Good morning. Hello? I got a broad here. She covers Whitney Houston. You'd swear she was in the room. Check it out. Oh, this guy's got to go. Okay. Okay. Okay, we can't do that, but sorry, I'm not going to let you just take over the show. You got multiple um, IDs here, that so you can come on and disrupt the show. So eh, that's nice. Please don't do it again. I'd appreciate it. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's see. Let's just get into a couple other things here. Oh, here's the um, an opinion of the Supreme Court, the law of the land. Let's ask uh, Let's ask one of those crazy old founders. Did our founders, after drafting a declaration of independence, fighting a war with England, and then sitting down 
depend a national governing document, the Constitution, put in that document the right of a majority of federal judges to make laws for the entire nation? Hmm, I don't think so. Rowan County, Kentucky clerk Kim Davis is texting the claim that five unelected Supreme Justices have the authority to overrule a state constitution that she took an oath to uphold and a federal constitution that says nothing about same-sex marriage. Robert Gagan, associate professor of New Testament at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, author of The Bible and Homosexual Practice, had this to say on the issue today. Inasmuch as Supreme Court of the United States so obviously overreached and, and acted as though it had the power to amend the Constitution, and certainly as legislators, Kim Davis should not comply. I disagree with my friends, blah, 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 blah. The Ogleford decision has no more validity than the Dred Scott case had in Lincoln's day. Civil disobedience is commendable. The only problem with Kim Davis's position, aside from the fact that she would be, have better grounds, uh, her rationale in the illegitimate action of the five lawless justices than in religious liberty, is that mass resistance has not occurred on the part of Christians. That's the problem. It's one lone person standing up. I'm glad she did it. Maybe some people will have the courage to actually take a stand for what's right. It would be nice if what was right was also uh, engraved in the law. It doesn't have to be. It's engraved in natural law, God's law, and those things preceded the Constitution. They're actually very well defined in the Declaration. So this is great. The states have rolled over on the question of judicial supremacy. We've got to get back. Congress is too busy solidifying its power base to take on a nation-dividing fundamental issue. Governors don't want to make waves and get involved in a protracted legal battle with the federal government that has unlimited money, in my parentheses, to print and then take from the people to spend and ways to hold back federal money, money they already took from the states and the people. Hmm, wouldn't it be great if a dozen or so states banded together and said no to the usurpation of their state's authority? Not just on this one issue, but on all the issues. That Tenth Amendment is really a useful tool. We have really lost our way as to how to use it. As I've been reminded several times since the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, the Tenth Amendment is part of that. Powers, in case anybody doesn't know that, <clears throat> the powers not delegated to the United why, States, but the Constitution. Why won't you? Okay. Why won't you hear out my talent? I got great I, talent. I, want I just talent. want you to hear. Okay. You're rude. Please stop. Don't want to deal with this. Um, common courtesy on TalkShoe is that you don't break in. So I'm going to ask that you not do that. You're welcome to be part of the uh, program, but you're not welcome to take over. Okay. 
Now we have New York on the call. Is that another one of your phony addresses? Hi, is this the show about the the government? I don't know about the government. This is just a sh- it's more a show about the people. We want the people oh. to be the governing body. Well, you know what I say, power to the people. Well, the people, all power is inherent in the people. Yeah. It's a very good phrase, actually, power to the people. Well, we have to remember that. We have to utilize that. We have to enforce it. We are the authors. The states give the federal government its authority. the, The federal government has no authority without the states giving it to them. Where, where did the federal government come from? It was well, the, the states really like to, to get, you know, to, to, you know, suck the cocks of the, the government people, the big people, you know? Yeah, and they fuck us all over. And then it messes us okay. all up. <sighs> Fucking bullshit. Is, okay, goodbye. Fucking bullshit, nagger. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. Okay, this it must be a full moon. It's not a full moon. What the heck's going on? Good grief. Okay, goodbye. Anyway, going to have to uh, keep my eye on this one. It just keeps getting interrupted here. Going to have to minimize it, keep it over in the corner so I can make sure that that doesn't happen again. Not acceptable. Sorry about that. Okay, let's see if I can get down over here. Back to the Tenth Amendment. Power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. The power to regulate marriage was never delegated to the United States by the Constitution, but it was convenient for the churches to let this, the federal government and even the states regulate marriage because then they didn't have to. They didn't have to be the the shepherds. They could just kind of let it go and have coffee and donuts. But now that the state is in charge and issues a license, a license, a fee to permit you to cohabitate and marry, and uh, produce offspring so that they can regulate everything, it's all licensed. But now that the license goes to... You know what, Collie and Jeff will give you Jeff by himself. This is not going well. Okay. So here we are. Back to the constitutional question about the Supreme Court being the final authority. Here's what Thomas Jefferson has to say on the issue in a letter to Charles Jarvis. To consider the judges as the ultimate arbiters of all constitutional questions, a very dangerous doctrine indeed, and one which would place us under the despotism of an oligarchy. Our judges are as honest as other men and not more so. They have with others the same passion for party, for power, and the privilege of their core. This maxim is, I can't pronounce it, it's Latin. It is part of a good judge to enlarge his jurisdiction, ah, and their power 
the more dangerous as they are in office for life and not responsible as the other functionaries are to the elective controls. The Constitution has erected no such single tribunal knowing that to whatever hands confide with the disruptions of time and party, its members would become despots. It is more wisely made all the departments co-equal and co-sovereign within themselves. If the legislature fails to pass laws for a census for paying the judges and other officers of government for establishing a militia for naturalization as prescribed by the Constitution, or if they fail to meet in Congress, the judges cannot issue their mandamus to them. If the president fails to supply the place of a judge to appoint others, civil or military officers, to issue requisite commissions, the judges cannot force him to do so. Ah, very interesting. You see, that's the way it's set up. The Constitution, in keeping with three departments distinct and independent, restrains the authority of the judges to judicial organs as it does the executive and legislative to executive and legislative organs. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to stay. You can't bury from that. You can't get off into the weeds with any of the rest of it. So that's the way it is. And that's the way it is. Ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Huh. Cute, cute. Okay, well, we're going to switch over to, we're going to change the change it up a little bit here and try something else. Um, we'll do a quick uh, commercial here and uh, see what that brings on. Natural Living Center, great big health food store in Bangor. The um, September specials, got some good stuff for you in the bulk section. Some of that stuff you want to uh, put away. Amaranth. Uh, how many of you know what amaranth is? Little tiny seeds. Great stuff. Good, good source of protein. Excellent food. Love it. Stores very well. People that are uh, stocking up a little bit on sale. Dollar ninety nine a pound. It's usually two sixty four. Uh, what else? Uh, small red chili beans. Two nineteen a pound. Normally two seventy five. Solid organics. Black turtle beans, $1.79 a pound. I love black turtle bean soup. And uh, you can get this all at Natural Living Center. Now, for some of the fancier stuff, two of the really good things here that are on big-time sale, still very pricey, goji berries, wolf berries. You know, it's really, they're tasty and highly nutritious. $20.50 a pound. They're normally 26 bucks a pound. Wow. And wild Dried organic blueberries. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Wild dried organic blueberries are only, get this, only $22.39 a pound. They're normally $28. Bucks. Wow. Okay. I got to do this. There we go. That'll take care of that. So, Natural Living Center, your great big health food store in Bangor, Maine. Give them a call. 
990-2646, Natural Living Center, Bangor, Maine, on Longview Drive. And John Cave and Countywide Vacuum, John sells a perfect vacuum. And you folks out there on the left coast, if you uh, need vacuum cleaner bags, give John a call. He'll send them right out there. And you can uh, put your music in the in the vacuum cleaner bag. Give him a call, 207-492-1492. John Cavan, Countywide Vacuum. Serves, services every vacuum cleaner you can imagine. Okay. Let's, um, I was going to do some on free trade. I think I'm going to just do... Tom DeWeese wrote a great article on patriots and politicians. And it's it's the history that we kind of forget. Some of this is hard to get through. For me, I get uh, all choked up with it. So we're going to go through this just to uh, just to get it into the uh, archives, so you guys can uh, listen to it at other times. Most everybody knows a little bit about this, but it's just uh, the way Tom wrote it. I really like it, so I'm going to read this into the record so that you guys can access it. Many of the younger generation must be truly bewildered over the emotions older Americans display when expressing love, devotion, respect, and reverence for our country. A tear in the eye for patriotic song, a hand over the heart as the national anthem plays, a salute to the flag as it passes in a parade. Why would us old guys do that? What frame of reference could young Americans possibly have? Patriotism, nationalism, even American citizenship are taboo in today's school curriculum. Globalism, diversity, and political correctness trump real history, sound economics, and science. Communism is just another economic system. The founding fathers are just old, dead, slave-owning white guys. The UN's Declaration on Human Rights trumps the Declaration of Independence. Hmm. Where are the heroes for today's young people to admire? Principled leaders who understood the roots of America's greatness now are replaced by blow-dried, soundbite kings whose professional campaign staffs understand only how to maneuver special interest groups for a voting block. How can young people make decisions in the voting booth? Who can they choose? Are there any candidates who offer anything other than meaningless gibberish? If today's young people could learn some of the history that brings the older generation a sense of pride when they could be helped, then they could be helped to understand that ordinary people in history knew that there were life principles worth sacrificing or even dying for. We've really lost it. We have lost the history. So here's a couple of things that we need to be able to recall to our memories. Thomas Nelson, Jr., born and raised in a wealthy family in Yorktown, Virginia, educated in England. He was elected to the House of Burgesses in 1761. He loved everything British, was proud to be a British subject. That is until old King George decided that his American subjects were good for little more than a revenue source to pay for his wars with France. The king imposed the hated Stamp Act on the American colonies, and Nelson became a dedicated opponent. He went from being a dedicated 
loyalist to a dedicated opponent of the Stamp Act. He believed he had rights to his own hard-earned money, and he believed it was wrong to impose the tax when he had virtually no say in the matter. Such was the foundation of the American Revolution. It mattered. Soon Nelson was elected to represent Virginia Continental Congress, where he became one of the 56 men to sign the Declaration of Independence. By the way, if you had the, the opportunity today, would you sign that? Hmm? Would you sign the Declaration of Independence today if you were in that position? It does matter. It really does matter. You need to think about that. By adding his name, as it would be yours, to that. To the bottom of that document, he pledged his life, fortune, sacred honor. In other words, Nelson and his 55 colleagues gambled everything. Yes, I would sign it. Without hesitation. In other words, Nelson and his 55 colleagues gambled everything in exchange for the ability to live their lives in freedom. Nelson backed up that pledge by becoming a brigadier general in George Washington's army. But he did more than just fight. He used his own fortune to help Washington fund the army. His money helped make payrolls for the men who needed it, for their families back home. His contributions to help keep the army on the battlefield would have equaled about $2 million today. Wow. Personal contribution to the war effort, $2 million. Finally, in the last battle of the war, Nelson found himself commanding troops outside his own hometown of Yorktown. As Washington laid siege to the British-held town, Nelson watched as cannon battery continually missed an important target. It was British General Cornwallis's command post. Nelson inquired of the troops why they weren't shooting at the house. Because, they said, it's your house. Nelson said, give me the torch. He then fired the cannon, aimed at his own home, and gave the order for the other cannon to fire at the target as well. The home was destroyed. Not long after, Cornwallis surrendered, the United States won, and everybody made a lot of money. Oh, no, that ain't it. For his service, Nelson died a pauper as his health and fortune were wrecked by the war. Thomas Nelson made the sacrifice because he believed freedom was more important than comfort and material wealth. He was not alone as almost all the signers of the Declaration met similar fates. Some died in the war effort. Many lost their fortunes. Some even lost their sacred honor. They did it so that future generations might have a better life. Francis Scott Key is another one. Most young people today think of the Star-Spangled Banner as... No, sorry. Uh, there's somebody in the chat uh, with the folks that have been uh, breaking into the show just in the last few minutes. I'm not letting anybody in right now. Sorry, I know you want to have an intelligent discussion on this, and I know that I'm not real good at having intelligent discussions, but uh, just can't do it right now. Sorry, right-wing 82. Just not going to do it. 
we're going to uh, continue with this. And uh, sorry, it just got it got a little bit crazy earlier in the show, and I'm just uh, I'm just going to plow through this. We had some uh, very insistent interrupters that wanted to uh, promote their some kind of music and and some very foul mouth people that we just didn't need, don't need it, don't want it, not going to do it. Most young people today think the Star Spangled Banner as simply a hard song to sing before sporting events. That's interesting. Yep. Uh, my daughter sings it. She does a pretty good job of it at sporting events, and uh, hopefully she'll get better as she does it more often. To them, the curious words are about bombs bursting in the air and flags flying around the 4th of July party. Yep, where's the beer? Let's play ball. But the words mean much more. The song's lyrics are actually a testimony to sacrifice, death, and courage. Francis Scott Key personally witnessed the events described in the song and wrote what he saw as it was happening. It wasn't just a, wasn't a postcard he saw. Key was an attorney who lived in D.C. during the War of 1812. Again, the United States was at war with Great Britain. The British had never really gotten over using the American colonies. In the, eight, in the 20 years since Cornwallis had surrendered at Yorktown, they had continually harassed American ships on the high seas. The U.S. tried diplomacy to solve the problems as the country sought to freely and honestly trade with both England and France. Peace was the goal of the young nation. But American ships seeking trade with Europe faced blockades by the British, who dominated the seas with their vast fleets, the largest in the world. In addition to preventing trade, the British claimed the right to take sailors off the American ships. The problem was they also took American sailors, making them serve against their will on British ships. Finally, the Americans had enough. Diplomacy wasn't working. American lives and freedom were threatened. The U.S. government declared war on the British <clears throat> again. Didn't go well for the Americans. The British, this time, used their vast sea power to attack the United States. It was a mess. First, the fleet sailed up the Hudson River to control New York. They launched an attack on New Orleans, gained control of the Mississippi, then they sailed up the Chesapeake. They learned a lot from the previous 20 years. <clears throat> uh, the British ransacked the capital city, burned buildings, including the White House. First Lady Dolly Madison was able to escape a little more than the Declaration of Independence. As the Americans were forced to flee, the British fleet set its sights on the next target, one of the nation's most prosperous cities, Baltimore, just a short trip up the Chesapeake, it was meant to be the final victory before reestablishing the Americans as British subjects. Meanwhile, as the ships <clears throat> wreaked havoc from the sea, British troops were on the ground in countless towns and villages, arresting Americans and putting them in makeshift jails or prison ships. The Americans were not happy having these occupying troops in their communities and tried to fight back. In the small community of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, Two drunken British soldiers were arrested by William Beans, thrown into jail. One escaped, <clears throat> caught up to his unit, reported what had happened. The British returned to the town, released their soldiers, and arrested Dr. William Beans. Enter Francis Scott Key. The people of Upper Marlboro enlisted Key to help free Dr. Beans, who was now being held in the hold of a prison ship in Baltimore Harbor. Keyes was allowed on the ship and taken to the prison hold. Derry found the ship packed with American prisoners, including Dr. Beans. He met with Rear Admiral Sir George Cockburn, 
to negotiate a prisoner exchange. Nothing changes. We just use different weapons, different different words, and we dress funny. <clears throat> As the two met on the deck of the ship, Cockburn told him, Keys, that the men would soon be released, but not through a prisoner exchange. They would be released, he said, because the war will be over. Then Cockburn pointed down the bay where Keyes saw hundreds of British ships sailing toward them. That, said Cockburn, is the entire British fleet. They're coming here to take Fort McHenry. The fort was the last stronghold of the Americans, and it protected Baltimore. It would, its fall would assure the final British victory and end of the United States. Not end of this little war, end of the United States. Key was held on the ship, unable to leave until the battle was over. The bombardment began at dusk in a deafening roar of cannon fire from a hundred ships, which stayed outside the range of Fort McHenry's guns. As the fleet opened fire on the fort, the men held in chains below deck wanted to know what was happening. Key reported what he saw through the battle. Waving from the fort was a large American flag. How many stars were on that flag? Mm, I'm going to guess 18, 12, about 20. Don't know that. Don't hold me to it. think it's about 20. As night began to fall, the bombs from the British fleet burst through the air. The last thing anyone could see in the twilight's last gleaming was the flag defiantly flying over the fort. Throughout the night, the prisoners called out, Is it still flying? No matter how many bombs seemed to hit the flag, it continued to fly. Finally, in frustration, the British fleet trained all of its guns on the flag, determined to bring it and the Americans' defiance down in a heap. <laughs> Still it flew. In the morning, the guns stopped. In the dawn's early light, all saw that the flag still flew, and the fort remained in American hands. Eventually, the fleet sailed away. Key was released. According to some reports, Key rushed to the fort, and there he saw what had happened. The flagpole, says the report, had been hit numerous times. Some have reported that around the base of the flag were numerous bodies of American soldiers and citizens. Throughout the night, it is said they had sacrificed themselves to keep the flag waving as the flagpole splintered from the direct hits it suffered, men rushed out and held up the flag, becoming human flagpoles. One by one, each was cut down by the bombs bursting in air. Another rushed out to take his place. The nation survived, and America became a shining symbol to the world as a land of the free, and the men of Fort McHenry proved it was also the home of the brave. Mm. That's intense, people. That's not exactly the same as refusing to get a driver's license. It's not exactly the same as disobeying some Supreme Court decision, Mrs. Davis. Is it? Wow. Human flagpoles. Oh. How many of you remember William Barrett Travis? Again, heroes, men of valor, 
In the winter and early spring of 1836, war raged throughout what is now the state of Texas. Mexico, led by General Santa Ana, wanted to control the territory. Santa Ana was a pompous, brutal dictator who had terrorized the citizens, murdering at will, taking property at his whim. The Texans wanted to be free of him. In a recent battle, they had managed to free the town of San Antonio of his rule. Now he wanted it back. So Santa Ana began a march on San Antonio with more than 1,000 troops, determined to prove that resistance to his rule was futile. On February 23, 1836, about 145 Texans under the command of William Barrett Travis rushed into a mission called the Alamo. Soon they were surrounded. Travis put out a call for reinforcements, saying, I'm besieged by a thousand or more Mexicans. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. Over the following two weeks, two weeks, they're being hammered 24-7. Over the following two weeks, the Mexican forces continually strengthened to over 2,000. Answering Travis's call, a few reinforcements for the Texans were able to break through the lines and build the garrison to 189 men. Famed frontiersman and former congressman, Davy Crockett, arrived with 15 good men from Tennessee. Another famous frontiersman, Jim Bowie, was there. There were 30 volunteers from South Carolina ready to fight with their native son, Travis. More than 81 volunteers from different countries, including England, Scotland, Germany, Ireland, and various U.S. states. Amazing, huh? Finally, as it became apparent that no large group of reinforcements would be able to get to their aid, Travis called a meeting of the men and told them they were free to leave and save themselves. He took out his sword and drew a line in the sand. He said, if you choose to stay, cross the line. <clears throat> to a man they crossed, determined to stay and fight the Santa Ana tyranny. After constant bombardment from the Mexican guns, the men inside the Alamo heard a certain bugle signal. It was the command to Santa Ana's troops to charge and take no prisoners. And men in the Alamo fought to the last man. Travis was one of the first to fall. On the north wall where the main assault occurred, he was 26 years old. Wow. Jim Bowie, ill on a stretcher, was killed in a small room on the south side. He was 41. Davy Crockett's body was found in a small fort on the west side, surrounded by a pile of dead Mexicans. He was 50. Crockett was 50, still fighting. 189 Texans died that day, but they took 600 Mexicans with them. The Alamo had fallen, but their courage allowed Texas General Sam Houston the time he needed to raise an army and meet Santa Ana only 46 days later. As Houston's men charged, they shouted, remember the Alamo. The battle lasted 18 minutes. The Texans killed 630 of Santa Ana's men, captured 730, literally destroying his army. The next day, General Santa Ana was captured, disguised as a peasant. His rule was finished, and Texas had won its independence because 189 heroes offered their lives in a belief that preserving freedom was more important than living under tyranny. 
you got to think about some of these things, people. American history is full of stories of heroism. It's full of it. Everywhere. you just got to look for it. you got to find it. It's there. If you look for it, it'll be there. Uh, I was trying to open something while I was talking. I'm just not good at this uh, <clears throat> two-handed thing here. Okay, let me try that. Uh, maybe it'll work. Oh, yeah, there it is. They were called patriots, and they didn't sacrifice to build the power of government or to enrich the pockets of a select power elite or to promote one group over another. They did, they did it so they could live their lives in peace, which they didn't ever achieve, but they did it so that we could. You understand that? Wow. This goes back to, I use this a lot, not a big fan of Winston Churchill, but this is where it's at. If you will not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory is sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. Believe it or not, there may be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it's better to perish than to live as a slave. Think about that. That's not just silly words on a piece of paper. Today our young people are taught in government classrooms that these old ideas are old-fashioned, quaint, in many cases wrong. Patriotism is racism. We're told by modern scholars, property ownership is selfish. Social injustice. Children are taught that our free society is the root of the earth's destruction and must be dismantled through a tightly controlled, organized global village. <laughs> oh boy. The Constitution, say some of the scholars, is a living document, changeable on a whim. The Declaration of Independence which Dolly Madison risked everything to save. It's just a war document from the revolution, nothing more. Really? Yesterday's patriots have been replaced by politicians who pander to special interests as they fill their pockets with money in exchange for deals, privilege, and power of foreign policy based on honest trade, avoiding entangling alliances, has been replaced with our military meddling in over a hundred countries as we impose economic and personal values where they aren't wanted. Bringing democracy. Thanks, thanks, President Bush. We're bringing democracy to the Middle East. They don't want democracy. You can't give them ours. We don't have a democracy. Why don't we give them our constitution and we don't use it? We're being ruled by nine criminals on the bench in D.C., terrible. America today is guilty of the very same kind of nation building that King George, not King George Bush, King George in 1776. Now America finds itself hated, non-respected, assuring American citizens are unsafe on every street corner in the world. Hmm. Wake up, people. America needs leadership with understanding 
which understands and reveres our roots and the history it took to mold this nation. But who can our young people look to for such ideas? Who among the politicians and self-appointed leaders of our nation would make such sacrifices? Who among them would even advocate such an attitude? Clinton? Either one of them? You think they'd stand on the front lines in defense of this nation and either of them order their own home destroyed for freedom's sake? really think so? Ha! I think uh, Barry Sertoro would stand on the North Wall and fight to the death to stop an invasion of the country? Not hardly. In fact, both of these leaders have actually thrown open the doors of the Fortress of America calling for those very descendants of the original invaders of the Alamo to come on over. Travis would have shot them. Today, instead of statesmen who serve our country out of love and loyalty for its ideals, or leaders who deal with other nations under the guideline of does it serve the just interests of the United States, we have politicians looking for a deal. Will it sound good to a certain voter block? Will it make me look good on television? Do I get a better haircut? Can I get a leg up on the other candidate if I propose this? Uh, all the wrong answers, all the wrong reasons, all the wrong questions. <clears throat> Today's politicians, Clinton, Obama, Sanders, and a whole bunch of them on the Republican side, propose vast policy programs costing billions of dollars with no concern where the money's coming from. They grab private land, displace families, regulate private business out of existence in the name of social justice. Meanwhile, John Boehner, Mitch McConnell, John McCain, the ones we count on to stand in defense of our constitutional system, join right in, refusing to take action to even slow down the growth and cost of these massive government schemes. It's got to stop, folks. It's got to stop. There's good people out there. 343 million people in this country. How come they only give us four or five criminals that we're supposed to choose to lead? Step up to the plate, people. We've got to take back our county. We've got to take back our state. You've got to start in your school system. You've got to start in your town. You've got to go to town meetings. I don't make them all. I wish I could. I feel bad when I don't make them, but we have to do it. Run for town office. Get involved. It's, it's either going to be ours or it's going to be theirs. And if it's theirs, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot. So back to the question. Here it is. Think about it. You'll not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed. Let's do it. Let's do it. We don't, we don't need Jefferson's prophecy of blood running in the streets. If you'll not fight when your victory is sure, not too costly. It doesn't cost too much to go to the meetings. It doesn't cost too much to get elected. It doesn't cost too much to disagree with evil. You're going to come to the time when you have to fight when all the odds are against you and only a precarious chance of survival. It may be a worst-case scenario. I'm not going to a FEMA camp. You may have to fight when there's no hope of victory. 
better to perish than to live as slaves. Thanks for being with us today, folks. Stay tuned for the Northern Maine Landman on the Constitutional Radio Network, The Conscience of Maine, coming right up. If you'd like to contact us, you know how to do it. County Co-ops, your buying club for Roostick County, 694-0721. Give them a call. Deliveries from Holton to Fort Tent. About 45 weeks out of the year, it gets done. Give them a call. County Co-op, 694-0721. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day. We'll see you on the radio. WXME AM 780, Monticello, Holton, Presque Isle.